Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm Bill Cooper. And I'm Hunter Heinemann. Hunter, man, that's 110 degrees out there in the shade today. What have you been doing to stay cool? I'm hopping in the river, staying in the house. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. And I've been mostly staying in the house and doing a lot of writing and doing a lot of talking to people. Mm-hmm. Two hours last night when a guy from Western Kentucky just tagging each other back and forth, talking about the upcoming bow season. He's inviting me over to. The bow hunt, I think I'll go, 3,400 acres, lots of soybeans, over 100 acres of food plots. And I don't know if this guy's making it up or not, but he's sending me <laughs> lots of photographs of huge, huge bucks, bigger than anything I've ever seen. He's supposedly got eight or 10 180 class bucks, and uh, we're going to try to take a couple of them out. But, you know, their bow season starts first September. Oh, wow. I don't think I'll be there that early. That'd be real hot. (laughs) Hey, that's that's even south of here, so it's really been hot over there. But hot weather, man, works on all of us. The fishermen, you know, kind of slowed down. And just today in a lumber store, in a barber shop, everybody's talking deer hunting. They're switching modes now, getting ready for this upcoming bow season. And, uh, man, everybody's got some good food plots out. We had lots of rain there. Yep. What's yours looking like? Uh, my beets and greens are probably two to three inches tall, coming up out of the ground. The leaves are. Um, I think the deer are starting to <clears throat> nibble on them, um, so that's good. And um, I got some clover and uh, chicory and kale up in the front of my farm, and, and that's coming up pretty well, too. It's about, I'd say, two or three inches high as well. And then I did a couple of spots and some uh, just... Uh, winter wheat and that's about the same so it's gotten rained on real hard probably two or three times now and then in between just softer rains so um, it is going very good and I'm hoping that that'll that'll bring them in I've noticed a lot of does and uh, you know fawns in the area and I think those does are you know with the fawns right now targeting a lot of that stuff um, in my in my uh, pasture field and then the food plots on the outside edges, I think they're hitting them, but uh, I haven't seen any big bucks yet, but I have started to see in the area, specifically not on my farm, I haven't seen anything big, but I've seen it around the area, driving around county roads on the way to appointments and stuff. Nothing's still big yet, but just one to two bucks hanging out right next to each other. You know, you can see them in velvet, and they're they're growing big right now. So, um, but just some young ones hanging out in bachelor groups and stuff like that. But um, yeah, well, it sounds sound like you got your plan together, though. I, I think you've got a plan that's going to keep you from eating peanut butter all winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still eating on on some of the deer that I shot uh, last year. So, oh, great, great stuff. Well, I was in the barber shop this morning, a young 
fellow I've known since, guy since he was just a child, but just a avid, avid bow hunter. In fact, he's he's been a state champion archer. Uh, used to shoot competition, uh, just deadly shot. But one of these guys is so dedicated to bow hunting. He's got a three, four hundred acre farm close to the Merrimack River, and I think uh, I think Dusty took bought that place about a decade ago. And I remember him telling me that first year he had it, he only found you know half a dozen scrapes on the place. Now he's got like a half a dozen. He calls shooter bucks, so I'm guessing they're in, in at least the 150 class, you know, yeah. for, for him to. Well, there's to, probably more than that running around there. Oh, too. there probably are, but uh, he's wise enough, too, though. He's got two pretty uh, farms pretty close to him. In fact, I think one of them joins him. Each of those has got a half a dozen shooter bucks as well. And if I know Dusty, like I think I do, he's probably got food plots on those farms as well. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> he, all, it's all kind of about how you manage it. But. It. it it really is. You guys being in the land business, you know, the uh, Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, you guys see a lot of the best properties in the country. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure when you own those properties, you see a lot of wildlife, too, and you see the results of people's work and efforts. Yes, definitely. Well, uh, I'm kind of envious in that respect, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because you guys do get to see not only those beautiful places, but those beautiful specimens of wildlife, too. But, yeah, that's... That's been a known fact for decades in the wildlife management circles and land management circles. Hey, regardless of what you're talking about, you build it, they're going to come. Or you build a nice place, hey, somebody's going to want to buy it. Uh, or you're just wanting to attract uh, quail, deer, turkeys, whatever. You put in the right habitat, and they're going to well, show up. Well, the other, it seems like, too, if you manage for turkey, it goes hand-in-hand hand with deer. Or if you're managing for deer, it goes hand-in-hand hand with turkey. And a lot of times it benefits rabbits, quail, squirrels, everything. So, I mean, it does seem when you manage for a lot of the bigger game that people go after today, deer, turkey, um, stuff like that, that it, it just kind of goes hand in hand with everything and benefits all that stuff. It, it really does. And it, it's probably been 20 years ago I was invited to come shoot some video and even hunt on, on a place not too far from here. I'm not going to call the name of it, but uh, it was uh, – Pretty interesting property, a 7,000-acre property, and you think, my goodness, be covered up with deer and turkey, you know. But went through that first deer and turkey season, and we had some success in there. In fact, Knight and Hale came in and filmed three uh, spring turkey hunting shows on that place, and they took three gobblers, pretty nice. But the deer season wasn't quite as exciting, but... Uh, hanging around and, you know, talking to people in the area. Uh, I discovered there were a lot more bigger bucks being killed off of that property. And I got to getting, the, you know, the ASCS maps and all that sort of thing. Well, all the private properties around us were uh, farms. Guess what? Those people were fertilizing, you know, and mm-hmm. just the plants that were on their place had more nutrition in them, and it drew the bigger box. The place I, I was hunting on was mostly uh, wooded, some old fields in it, but they weren't brought up to soil test or anything like that. And just the quality of the soil made huge difference in uh, the quality of wildlife. Yeah. Because, hey, it's just like you. You want to eat steak every day or you want to eat bologna? You probably like maloney. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could eat steak every day, but just about. Well, if it had to be one or the other, I think steak, I, yeah. I, could, I could fix steak a lot of different ways. Well, 
Another topic I'm hearing being kicked around a lot now, people are getting excited. They're seeing, you know, the antlers growing and, and with the velvet on them, all that stuff. And, of course, we know it's almost 1st September. Some of those bucks are probably already starting to rub a little right. bit. And, you know, the old bachelor bucks have been hanging out uh, together for months and months and months now. And they're getting fat together, and but they're going to start hating each other pretty soon. Yep. And uh, bucks are going to start splitting up. Those summer patterns are going to change. And I hear guys, you know, they've got plans in place, man. They're going to be out there the first day, hot or not, uh, after those bucks. In fact, I talked to a guy in a hardware store about an hour ago. And he said he's kind of got a number on a, a big buck. And he said, I'm going to be after him first day. I don't care if it's 110 degrees. I'm going to be sitting in that stand sweating trying yeah, to kill that can, buck. A lot of times you can still catch them kind of not all the way out of that summer pattern. Exactly. And, I think that's what his plan is. And they're they're easier to pattern at that time of the year than they are when they're rutting. But when they're rutting, sometimes you can just go sit in the woods and one happens day. by, yeah. <laughs> they're they're kind of goofy then. But, but of course, uh, this time of year, and uh, I heard somebody else mention, too, they had planted a specific type of soybean hoping to carry them up into the cooler weather of the um, – uh, of the summer and going into fall and still have green soybeans, well, their soybeans are starting to turn yellow on them, so they know that they're going to be leaving those soybeans soon and uh, starting to go to other food sources. So even, you know, just late in the season, the food sources can, can start changing, but it's going to be a dramatic change when, hey, the old testosterone levels start coming up and these bucks start really sparring, start getting serious, start hating each other, and they're going to go different directions. Well, where do they go? And some people swear that, you know, hey, all their big bucks just disappear. But uh, Shane Metzenbacher with the National Deer Association, I've spent some time with him and actually helped them with a couple of hunts. And he always does little seminars at the hunt and, and go doesn't go into great detail, but he does explain the basics about buck behavior or deer behavior. And some of his discussions, and I've got pulled up here on my computer an article by the National Deer Association. They're talking about uh, bucks splitting up like that and you've probably heard the talk too and i've even believed it that at one time that man you know they just go so crazy when they start feeling that testosterone levels they go plumb out of the county well mm-hmm. that's not exactly right. true right uh, deer and particularly bucks have a home range usually about a mile square sometimes mm-hmm. two miles square and but people I've heard it over and over again. They just swear, those bucks just disappear. Don't see them anymore. May not see them till real late in the season or something. Well, quite often, I'm sure you've experienced this too, they're hiding in plain sight. Yep. <laughs> they really start to knuckle down. And there's studies that shown, yeah, there are those bucks that really wander during, during the rut. Mm-hmm. But most of the wandering bucks or the younger bucks just because they're getting kicked around a lot you know and they tend to range further than the older bucks but the older a buck gets the less he's going to wander he's going to stay closer and closer to home and i think i've really that concept really soaked into my head probably about 30 years ago i was hunting a real nice remote farm that had handful of 
really big bucks on it. In fact, I missed a 180 there one year. Well, that was the first first year I hunted in the Ozarks. I wasn't really a deer hunter, but a old gentleman I went to church with insisted I go deer hunting, and he <laughs> he loaned me an old military rifle he'd sporterized. It was an 0383. He took a 30 out six cartridge, and I went down to this one particular farm last day of deer season. And the Sunday afternoon, I'm, I mean, it was just the last few hours of deer season. And I'm sitting on a hillside. It was pretty chilly, but sun was shining on me. And I saw the back of a deer in a small ditch line. There were still kind of green soybeans out in front of me. And I watched this deer, and it walked up out of there. And it's, it all looked like an elk to me. It was huge. <laughs> and it, I got a real case of buck fever and shooting a rifle with open sights. Missed that buck. Cried a while. <laughs> but a friend of mine killed that buck the next year and it scored 182. Wow. Uh, hey, if you're going to deer hunt, it pays to do your homework. <laughs> yeah. Yep, for sure. <laughs> Definitely practice some before. <laughs> yeah, I've learned my lesson since then, but I've never had another 182 walk out in front of me since. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's the way it works but uh, back to the topic of uh, deer dispersing uh, do you know when that happens out in your neck of the woods uh about (laughs) about when bow season starts (laughs) um it it seems like it anyways i always usually see a lot of uh, bucks paired up just one or two sometimes even three to four yeah. Um, <clears throat> one year I had, um, this was going back probably two years in my front pasture field, about 50 yards from the house, four of them all together. And there was two 10 pointers and eight, and then like a six pointer, and they were all in velvet. <clears throat> and I actually ended up seeing them more than once out there. And then uh, <clears throat> saw them out in the backfield, I think once in early October, um, one of them, and he was by himself. But I definitely know something happens from mid-August to September 15th. You know, um, I think in September, the morning <coughs> weather starts cooling off and they can feel that, and then I think it, it they just start getting into their zone on, on breeding and, and rutting, and they start getting in that, that zone. So <laughs> um, I think it's definitely... <clears throat> right there in the first couple of weeks in September, they're going to start breaking off, but you might catch one or two that are still kind of hanging out and showing up in daylight. Yeah. Now, interesting you bring that up. The young barber I was just talking to, of course, he's been on his place a decade and, and a serious, serious bow hunter, uh, more than the average bear, you know. So he actually knows individual deer and he's targeted a buck that he wants to get this year and he said, I'm not even paying any attention to the rest of them. Mm-hmm. I want this particular buck he calls <clears throat> chance for some reason or another, but he showed me photos of it. I mean it's at least a one sixty five buck I, wow. I'd say lots of points on yeah. a crab claws and a buck anybody would wanna kill. But he says that uh, that buck's going to be five and a half, six and a half this year. I mean, he's watched wow. it and let it go and grow, you know. But he says that buck, uh, when the rut really starts to start in, that that buck disappears for a month and it goes to a local wildlife area that is just overrun with uh, does. And mm-hmm. he goes and spends a month there every 
every year chasing those does all over the place, and then he comes back to the farm. Now, that's not over a mile away uh, from his farm, so it's still well within the home range of that buck, but it's just strange. I mean, for like three, last four five years, he's watched that buck like a clock, you know, yep. and documenting what he does. So I said, well, what are you going to do, not kill anything between the time he's gone and when he comes back, mm -hmm. you know? Well, there's those that need to be thinned out, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's got a plan, plan as well, man. And he, uh, hey, he he fills a lot of tags during the year. I guess his family eats a lot of uh, yeah deer meat. The biggest deer I I killed was just uh, I had actually bow hunted a couple of weeks before rifle, and was sitting in an area, and uh, I seen. 10, 11 does in one afternoon or one morning and just made the decision that, you know, and seen some small bucks. So I knew there had to be one big dominant buck in there. Oh, yeah. You know, hanging out with all those does that were going through there. So I I stuck stuck that spot out and shot about a 150. Um, Work, so, worth the wait. Yeah, I during the rut I just – I kind of pay attention where I'm seeing the most amount of does and and if you know I didn't have time to run cameras or wasn't paying attention to cameras or as much as I should be then I I kind of just do that I, I typically know the spots on our farm where <clears throat> I've had success in the past where I've seen bucks uh, which spots are better early in the year or which are better during rifle and and I just kind of pick those is the time whenever i want to go hunt and sit in those spots hey man hang on to that idea we need to take just a short break here but folks don't go away we'll be right back with some more great deer hunting information i'm sure my co-host here is going to have a great deer story to tell us oh yeah <laughs> hi i'm steve stoltz with jury outdoors and you're listening to living the dream outdoors podcast with phil cooper and hunter Heinemann. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on the beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip. Whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else, chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But Who's All Valley, there's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz, original team member of the Drury Outdoors, DeerCast, and uh, we're talking about big whitetails. And I'm going to give you another tip on hunting big whitetails and what I do to prepare uh, for, for big whitetails. And 
and getting MRI on whitetails. And in the process, you have to remember that your big mature deer are, 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 are there because they're not being bothered. And, 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 and I can't say enough about low intrusion. I mean, probably the, the number one, in fact, if I was asked what the number one mistake most whitetail hunters make on their properties that they're big white, and that would be intrusion. First and foremost, so let know you're in there, the less you're in the areas they love to live, do, and I know uh, if you're an outdoorsman, if you have families that ride ATVs and the whole bit, it's tough to keep that intrusion down. I get that. But the more you, if you, the more you create a sanctuary for those big whitetails, uh, and the less you go and penetrate those sanctuaries, to have with the particular whitetails that you're hunting. I start, because I am so busy with shows earlier in the year, I start my scouting process during the middle of the summer. Um, and I would say if you had to narrow it down from about the the end of July till about the middle of the third week of August, that's the magical four or five weeks that you can get MRI on M. Every single mature buck will usually go, uh, uh, they'll, they're, they're putting on feed very heavy. So keep in on vulnerability, vulnerability that they have, that they have to feed to build up those nutrients for those antlers and feeding a lot heavier almost more than any other time besides late season. And so they're very visible. Now, 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 whitetail is not a very visible animal, okay? If they were, we'd all be killing 200-inch deer every year. They're not. And so take advantage of the times that they are uh, visible and get those cameras out, get multiple cameras out, and get them in areas that, you know, for lack of better terms, you know they're going to come out from their sanctuary and, and feed. That way you don't have to go in and bother them. And that way when conditions are right to camera, you, you have that camera kind of out away from where they're bedding where you won't bump them off. And then wind direction is huge. So great about deer cast. There's so many features on that deer cast. I don't know how we hunted without them without DeerCast before before uh, Drew Outdoors came out with DeerCast, but it is certainly a tool that is an advanced tool that has many items in there. And uh, the wind direction feature in DeerCast is unbelievable. And so you want to check and go on your farm and check the wind direction on your cast, what your wind is doing. And you it will show you exactly how that wind is blowing that day and how it will at that particular time. So when you go in to check your cameras, which by the way, you don't want to do very often, let those cameras run as long as you can let them run. Don't go in there very often. But when you do make sure you go to DeerCast to the wind checker and check where that wind is. If it's blowing into where you think the deer like blowing into a standing cornfield timber or a thicket where you 
said, don't go check that camera that day. Go pull that card when the wind uh, direct, uh, direction is correct. And when you pull the card, to cut down on disturbance, bring an extra empty SD card with you. And go there, open the, turn the camera off, open it up, put the empty card in, grab, grab the camera full of pictures, Make sure you turn the camera back on. Don't forget to turn the camera back on. I repeat, because many times people leave a camera and forget to turn it on. Make sure the camera's running, and then get out of there as quick as possible. That way you're only there a few minutes, and you're back out of there for a week. And let those cameras do the work. MRI throughout the summer, in particular late July and early August to mid-August, is, is the best time to find out how many and, and what kind of good bucks you have on your farm. Hi folks, it's Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation with a little habitat hint here. Uh, no surprise, uh, we are in the middle of a pretty severe drought across most of mid-Missouri. Uh, encourage folks to take a look at diversifying their grazing systems. Uh, right now, the department, NRCS, and other partners do have cost share available for the establishment of native form season grasses for grazing and hay purposes. What a great program. What a wonderful way of diversifying your grazing system and actually having a drought tolerant productive grass in the months of June, July, and August. If you're looking for more information, would encourage you go to go to the Missouri Department of Conservation's website at mdc.mo.gov. And in the upper right-hand corner is contacts. Go to your county and find your private land conservationist for your county uh, to set up a meeting to look at ways that you can improve your property, not only for wildlife, but also forage production for your cattle. Hey, everybody, this is Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. Check out my buddy's podcast show, Living the Dream Outdoors with Bill Cooper and Hunter Hindman. You're really going to enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. If you like deer hunting, you're in the right place. We've been talking deer hunting all morning. I've been talking deer hunting since daylight. Everywhere I went, everybody's talking deer hunting, getting ready for bow season. But speaking of bows, I'd, I'd like to do a real shout-out to a great friend of mine, Brian Wilson. He's got Stainwater Bow Fishing out of Jerome, Missouri. This guy is an incredible. He runs big Legend SS boats that look like barges, and he does not only bow fishing but the gigging as well. And Brian has a second boat down on Taney Como Lake that's run by another captain. And believe it or not, these guys have these boats out on the water over 300 nights a year. Wow. <laughs> They are serious. Now, you talk about deer hunters being, being serious. Brian Wilson has been probably shooting carp and buffalo and gar with a bow since he's a little bitty kid, you know, and he's just obsessed with it. He runs all over the country. He likes to shoot alligators and all kinds of crazy things, you know. <laughs> but Brian Wilson in Stainwater Bow Fishing has just gotten word that 
for the second year running, they have received Vincu's Angler's Choice Award of the Year. Now, that's anglers and fishermen, outdoorsmen that are voting for them that I guess in Vincu, a pay source, you know, the way you pay, you can, it's an app you can use. But these people vote. Best outfitter. The public does? Yes. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Huh. Uh, it tells me that uh, people believe in what he's doing, right. think he does a good job, and he's a grand source uh, boy on Facebook, all, all the social media platforms. And uh, Brian and I have worked together, gosh, for well over a decade, helped grow his business a little bit. I told him that night, I said, you owe me a little bit. So, <laughs> so he's hashtagging us, Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast, now on all of his social media platforms. So look for us on all those uh, f- places, and uh, hey, you can find them on Brian Wilson's platforms now, too. Yep. <laughs> hey, I like I like rubbing elbows with that guy. He's, and besides that, uh, I'll have to take you sometime, Hunter. He has big cookouts over at his place at Jerome, got a big garage. I was over here a while back, he invited me over, and he had been down to Florida or somewhere, mm. they had alligators, they had uh, redfish, you know, black and yeah. redfish. Yep. Mm-hmm. His captain, I can't remember his name from downtown, and Como was cooking those things. It was hard to stop eating them. <laughs> you talk about incredible. They'll have deer meat, wild hogs. I mean, these guys hunt anything and yeah. everything. Well, I've been, I've been bow fishing before. That's another <laughs> super fun summer activity. That is a good one. Um, plus, you can... Go bow fishing at night. Oh yeah! So you're beating the heat a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Now those guys do bow fishing in, in uh, daytime sometimes too. Right. Uh, I think they go anytime they got the chance. Right. Um, well, yeah, I, I've done that on Lake the Ozarks. I've done it on rivers. Um, that's a blast. Um, I like doing it at night, but I would, I'd love to be able to do the the gigging thing. I know people around here talk about it all the time and people do it on the Merrimack, who's all oh code away. It was uh, there's a puddle of water. Yeah. Well, I mean what are what are the main fish that they're gigging? Is it just suckers or uh yeah, but there's several varieties of suckers. You know, there's a yellow and a silver sucker and then you get into carp, buffalo, and they'll get gar too. Gar are not a bad eating fish. Everybody thinks yeah. of them as a horrible trash fish, but no they're not too bad. In fact We'll get uh, you Brian. have to prepare them the right way. Well, we'll get Brian to cook you up some of his gar balls. Ooh, <laughs> gar balls! Yeah, excellent. Let me tell you. Yeah, uh, but uh, Brian Wilson knows all all about it. He's a pretty healthy guy, you know. You can tell <laughs> that he likes to eat what he kills. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but he he can do it all. Hey, deer hunter too, man. In fact, he was telling me. He's got a he's got a steel set up in his garage where he cooks, and he makes some pretty good sauces out of that steel too. And I'm gonna go down to his deer camp this year. He's transporting his steel to his deer camp. Nice. <laughs> so uh, there's gonna be some real atmosphere down there this year. And these guys are just storytelling fools. It's just one of those idyllic places, you know. And the kind of guys, outdoor guys and gals that you like to hang out with. Because you know, without a doubt, it's going to be one good time. Right. Or you're (laughs) going to at least be fed. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to fed and have a little something to drink, you know, and tell some good stories. Stay up late around the fires. And and 
I don't know if I just totally admire guys like that or I'm just envious, you know, because right. they they are just totally eat up with the outdoors and just great bunch of people and everybody think, gosh, I bet they kill a lot of stuff. Yeah, they do, but they consume a lot of stuff too because there's a lot of them when he has parties. Well, I, I stayed over for an hour or so. That's been about a month ago. They must have been two or three hundred people went through there, and people were just yeah. coming and going. Yeah. Seems like he's one of the, he should be a politician. He's like one of those guys <laughs> that knows every, everybody around every, every corner. But, hey, he's got a head full of information, too. He, I love picking his brain. He's just such a jolly character and tremendous storyteller. I told him he missed his calling. He should have been in the outdoor communications business, you know. Mm -hmm. he said, well, I don't have time for that. I'm either on the water or hunting something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, in the first half there, we're kicking deer around a lot, and we talked about, uh, you know, deer dispersal, the bucks, and what happens to them in, in the fall, and where do they, where do they really go? But I think the thing that we really need to keep in our minds that deer are creatures of ha habit, you know, and if you don't bother them, and that's a key point to killing big bucks, even when they start to break up. You just got to wrap your head around the ideology. They're still not too far away. You're not seeing them as often because you got accustomed through the summer of, of seeing those bachelor groups of buck and bucks. And a lot of times you can just about set your set your watch by them, and particularly out on the farms and ranches where. Uh, Guys travel on tractors, they yeah. travel in pickups, yep. and deer just get totally used to those things, you, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, don't pay much attention to you. Nope. And you. You can sit and use those binoculars, you can scout right out of your vehicle and know what those deer are doing. But when they split up and go direction, it kind of does, uh, does a trick on our gray matter, and we just think, <laughs> oh, they've all disappeared, gone into outer space or over to the neighbor's farm and... I've even had bad dreams about that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. When you start targeting a buck, and then all of a sudden, he's nowhere to be found. And you just know all kinds of horrible things that have happened to him. Coyotes got him, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just get it, get it hiding out and hunkering down. Well, uh, those of us have been around for decades and decades and de decades. We know that uh, they're there. And you see, now the guys that are consistent consistent deer killers steve stoltz comes to mind because steve does a piece for us and he's <clears throat> he's doing short pieces right now on uh deer hunting and kind of week by week i'll have a new segment attached to this this show and he's talking about the processes that deer are going through and he's just adamant adamant about staying out of those uh areas where these big bucks hang. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, he's he's big on the cameras, and he's saying, going out, put them out, leave them months at a time, spend the money that will send photographs to your phone, to your phone or your computer, and stay out of those areas. Yep. He, he's saying, man, put those cameras out, and don't go back until it's time to climb in that stand. Has that been your experience? I would agree with that. Um, I mean think about it if you do go in and check camera you know and that big buck that you've been seeing just happens to be there and you bump him out he's gonna think 
hmm, well, that wasn't good, and he's going to go spend time maybe somewhere where he usually doesn't, but it's still in an area within that mile square that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's going to go maybe hang out over there now for a little bit. And then <clears throat> you're like, where'd he go? And then a couple weeks later he might show back up, but he may not hang around there as long. You go back in to check your camera another two weeks later, he happens to be there again, you bump him again, well, that's strike two. So it's just kind of, I think, staying out of the areas that, Maybe if you have an area that you clear cut or hinge cut heavy and you're going to say, that's my area that I'm not going to go near it, not going to touch it, but you have areas on the outside of it that you can easily get to and not bump those deer, get in a stand and hunt. He's probably going to travel through there at some point, whether it's for food to to go breed a doe, uh, to go get water, to go to a food plot, whatever. Um <clears throat> And you're better off just doing that, I think. Um, well, I think you are too, but that's one of the hardest lessons for us to learn. Yeah. When, when I kind of got free run of uh, a farm down the road for me, it was about 500 acres, and man, awesome place. Long ridge with lots of white oaks on it. Usually had an awesome acorn crop, and the bottom was rotated corn and soybeans. I mean, it was just a deer and turkey hunting heaven, but hey, as a new deer hunter, Season come on, I was tromping all over the place all the, all the time. But I learned a lesson one time during rifle season. I'd, I'd been around several places set up and antsy, you know, I just couldn't stay set for too long. I'd sit in one spot for an hour and then I'd move to another one, just not realizing I'm just really trashing the place, you know. Mm-hmm. But I got the itch to walk out across this cut soybean field and there was a little wet spot out there that... I'd say it was half an acre. There was a little, like, seep spring there, I guess, and cattails, just a gnarly, gnarly place. Uh, I'd never been in that place, so I just started walking through there, and this monster of a buck got up. I mean, not 15 yards from me. That buck was won't let me walk by him, but I yeah, I really got they in his get, back they pocket. Get in that, they get in that thick stuff, and... Yeah, but you way out in the middle of the soybean field, you know. <laughs> right. And who goes and looks there? Nobody. And in I just sight. got Yeah, I just kinda stumbled across him. Of course I couldn't get a shot in that that thick stuff, but I was just flabbergasted, you know. Mm-hmm. I, what an idiot I am, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll make you do that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do. But uh I've never Saw that buck again. I'd, I'd say it's a good 160-class buck. You know, it's funny that you were talking about the cameras earlier. I just <clears> – I used to run the ones that you'd have to go check, and I just started bumping more deer and learned that pretty quick. And uh, I just got to the point where, you know, I started working a lot a lot more and, and uh, ran out of the time to keep running the cameras. Granted, you have the ones that just send it straight to your phone, but – for me anymore, it's just exciting. I don't really run the cameras at all. Uh-huh. And I just, you know, I, I can work from home so sometimes. So I, I pay attention to what parts of the farm the deer are walking on, you know, in the mornings and afternoons. And and then I just pay attention to that. And then that's kind of how, when I do want to go hunt, how I plan it and where I'm going to sit or, or whatnot. And then plus over the years of hunting my dad's farm, the same thing. I just kind of know where I've had more success than others and have seen 
bigger bucks and places that I can get to that I'm not jumping them up. And for me, it's more fun to go in and I don't even, I don't even know all the way what I'm going after, but I know that there's probably a buck in that area. And, and sometimes I'll even let a spot like that. Maybe I shot a big buck in it the year before. I might let it sit for the following season and let some of the other bucks in that area, you know, mature and go to a spot I haven't visited in a while and then hunt that. But, uh, for me, I just I don't do the cameras anymore, and I just get as much fun out of it as kind of paying attention to what I see when I'm in the woods. Well, that that's the advantage of owning your own place too. You're yeah. there, you're yeah. there a lot, and you learn what's going on. But those those cameras that send you the stuff now automatically are amazing. Oh, I, absolutely! I I keep ragging some of these guys that you know got dozens and dozens of cameras out that the hey, they're awful lazy when they can just sit at home and watch. I always thought scouting is so much fun, but it, it can be detrimental. Hey, dear friends of mine, uh, Chance and Joel Hollingshad down at Devil's Backbone Outfitters in Drury, Missouri. Shout out to them. And they've got 1,700 acres down there. Uh, send me photos of some pretty good, not, nice bucks. And, you know, you, you, can, uh, you can buy yourself a hunt down there. You can, uh, that's what they do during turkey hunts. And in their 1,700 acres, they've got a three or 400 acre sac- sanctuary right in the middle of it. They never go in there when it gets close to right. your season, and they don't let anybody hunt in there. They, of course, they take, you don't just walk around their place. They take you out and put you on a stand, and they pick you up so that yeah. you're not tromping all over the place. But, oh, five years ago, they allowed uh, me and another outdoor writer, Tim Chelsevic, to go into the sanctuary. We went in. Wow. At noon, mm-hmm. on a stand, climbed on that stand, I want to say about 2.30. And far as off the side of a slope, there was a little pond there, and there was a big field up above us about 100 yards. And there were some big white oaks from that field down to us. We had been on that stand 30 minutes, and I looked up towards the field, just kind of skylined, and I'm doing a double take. It looked like a brush pile up there, you know. But <laughs> it was a big, awesome big buck. It, I whispered to Tim, we couldn't find a tree big enough on that side slope to get both stands on. So I'm about 10 yards from him on a little old 8-inch black oak, and I wasn't 8 feet off the ground. Of course, looking uphill, wasn't very far, just a few yards, and I was eye level with the ground. Yeah. But I'm whispering to Tim, monster buck. He's going, Shut up. I've already seen it, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, those sort of deals. But we got to watch. And just a few minutes, a a doe blew out of the group of six or eight, ran all the way down that hill, stopped right under my tree and looked straight up at me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've blown the whole deal. And she huffed a little bit, but circled below us. It took 45 minutes for that buck to work his way down that uh, slope following all these does. And I just knew we were going to get busted with that many noses around, and that's so low in the in the trees. But 12 yards, he, he drilled him, 19-pointer. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually got that buck in Outdoor Life magazine. I keep telling Tim, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me, because it kind of shot him into orbit. He got he got hired by Drury Outdoors then, and uh, he's now my boss at Drury Outdoors. <laughs> 
He's the editor of DeerCast. Hey, look up DeerCast, all you deer hunters. Be another tool that you can use and can give you about all the information you need. Well, hey, we we wish you guys a lot of luck with the upcoming bow seasons. And uh, if you need some advice, call Hunter Heinemann. You know, Thank the- you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> hey, at least call us and tell us some deer stories. Well, Hunter here, hey, in the last minute or so of the program you got lots of great properties for sale that's got lots of deer and turkey food plots and stuff on them. Tell people how they can get a hold of you if they want to hear about some of those properties. Sure, yeah. Um, they can give me a call on my cell at 636-373-1509. Um, call or text, and then my email is hunterh09 at yahoo.com. So either one of those would work. Great deal. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the show. We sure enjoyed talking about it. Of course, we can talk about deer hunting about it any time of the week. But, hey, Hunter Hyman, I guarantee you, we are living our outdoor dreams. We encourage you to get out in the outdoors and live your outdoor dreams. I'm Bill Cooper. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573 573- 263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On The Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm, we live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. 
Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.